Welcome to Inkwell, a podcast from Houston, Texas, for anyone engaged in the world of reading and writing. Inkwell is brought to you by Tintero Projects, which showcases the work of national and international Latinx and Latin American writers through readings and workshops, and Inprint, a literary arts nonprofit which, since 1983, conducts readings, workshops, and other programs to promote creative writing and reading and supports writers. Inkwell hosts Jasmine and Lupe Mendez, writers, educators, activists, and founders of Tintero Projects, will interview emerging and established writers from across the United States with energy, wit, and fresh perspective on what it means to ink well in this day and age. Uh, bienvenidos, gente, and welcome to another amazing episode of Inkwell. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Lupe Mendez. And I'm Jasmine Mendez. And to the my right is. The beautiful. I already said it. Oh. Jasmine Mendez. <laughs> um, ready to go. I had a Dr. Pepper, which I shouldn't because it has caffeine. Then and I'm pregnant. <laughs> but I'm, all, I'm awake now. It's my one little dose of caffeine for the day. Oh, wow. So I'm good. Um, so welcome back. This particular episode, uh, we get to sit down and have an amazing conversation with um, like one of my idols in town. Um, uh, I love this dear friend, uh, Dr. Robin Davidson. Uh, will be in-house with us today as we discuss uh, lots of different parts of the writing life. The writing life, like the other stuff that we don't get to talk about and haven't had a chance to talk about. Um, So, yeah. Um, How are you? I'm all right. It's been a long week. Like, I haven't seen you. I know. You haven't seen me all week. Because we're on spring break. Yeah. (laughs) Again. I need to go to work. Uh, Yes, you do. (laughs) Um, So speaking of spring break, actually, uh, it's usually a time when folks like to get things done and or sleep and, or sleep as Lupe likes to do. I like I have lists, uh, copious amounts of lists, lists um, that I make for like personal things, uh, writing things, house things. Now nursery, medical, writing life, book projects. I just put um, things on post-it notes. Lupe puts things on post-it notes, and then he plays video games. <laughs> Oh, you can laugh. It's all good. For, oh, wait. We didn't it's do very that part. real. So, um, say hello. Uh, say hello, <laughs> guest. Say hello, guest. <laughs> hello, Lupe. You're in a lot of trouble, dude. <laughs> well, I don't, let's, let's correct. This is another one of those moments, if you've listened to the other podcasts, where Jasmine does a thing where she says a thing and isn't real. And so this is where that imaginary where asterisk pops what? up. I don't play video games. Not, no, oh, I'm sorry. No, now it's uh, uh, binge watching Star Trek. That's his, that that's I can his top priority. Be, so let's also discuss. He's really reading. I'm really He's reading. really reading. Let's yeah. discuss the fact that mm-hmm. since I work a, a seven to four. You're right. Job, you deserve the time off. So I yes, if you know, there's a little bit of vacation time. I sometimes need to decompress. So, but he also believes decompressing is like sitting in, under piles of research for his current book project, <laughs> which I don't understand how that works. It's like, oh, I need a break, and then he's like sifting through all these archives of stuff. So, we, you know, we were kind of thinking about like talking today some about how we prioritize oh, either our writing <laughs> tasks or our life tasks and, yeah. and what that looks like. That's, so let. Let's, let's. I think we like also organizing the things that are like yeah. in one's life. Yeah. So, I and like it's weird. I am not obviously for some of you that can't tell. I am not a type A kind of individual. Oh, I, am, I would disagree with that. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Oh, that's I think for awesome. sure. I think. For what you want to be type A for, you can be type A. And then other things are like, oh, I'll get to that. You okay, know, so like let's, the paying type a bills and no, calling the roofer. No, 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 <laughs> like, no, no, no. Things so like things that. So things that I am very type A. I am type A about the kitchen drawer. Like where you throw all the junk that's in the kitchen drawer. Priorities, people. Clearly, his and, are not mine. And the, the pantry. like, in, And you're like tool shed situation and, in the garage. And the garage. Like those things, <laughs> I am like, I label things to where things will be posted and placed. And I think those like. Whereas I am a little more practical and I'm like, oh, the bathroom's dirty. We should clean the bathroom. And you're like, no, let me rearrange these nails in the toolkit because <laughs> that's a priority right now. I like how she diminishes what I'm prioritizing instead of the fact that. As, as, as someone who has been married for 42 years, I will refrain from comment. <laughs> 
deeply and I'm happily happy. married, let me say. I have a wonderful it's husband. Like, it's one of those, like, <laughs> I hear some things that sound very familiar. familiar? I, I think it's yeah. also funny because how we kind of organize the things that we're doing. Like, I organize things so that I don't have to go back to them with much like sense of chaos in my head. I was like, Oh no, I've got to do that thing again. Like if I can clean it once and be done with it, I'll clear it out and be done. I'm also real pragmatic. And like, if I throw things away quickly, like I'm, I'm pretty done. Whereas some people in well, my life. Well, think about it. I mean, you're also, you guys are also poets, right? So right. the things that you choose to do mm-hmm. and even the ways in which you are organizing or clearing away, I mean, there's the possibility that's metaphorical. And so that's in clearing right. away one kind of thing, right. you're actually clearing space for something else that's These more important. She gets me. This is why. Okay. This is, and you're leading us into your interview, oh, Robin. Good. Thank okay. you very much. This is the point of this conversation. Because <laughs> I want to know backtrack how. for a minute. Wait a minute. Because, because let's <laughs> talk about the laundry. No. Okay, that's what I've done all day long today. <laughs> This is why he doesn't understand when I get into a tizzy. Yes, I use the word tizzy. When I wake up on Saturday mornings and there's like, there's like junk mail on the table and like things where like I want to be able to wake up and like do my yoga and like get into my writing mode. But if there's clutter on the kitchen table or in my like visual periphery, like I can't focus. I've got to like clear this out of the way. And so then where he gets up, sits down, you know, starts watching his DVR shows, eats his breakfast, you know, fiddles around on, on Facebook. I'm like, uh," and he's like, what what are you doing? What, what, what is, what is happening? What, uh," like he gets all, you know, because I, I need the clutter to be gone. So that like, like Robin said, I can clear space in my mind for the writing that needs to get done. But that's, but that's also meaning that like, since I already threw away the junk mail that was addressed to me. Addressed to you. And I don't know which (laughs) mail you want to save. Right. Okay. Okay. So then. You leave mail sitting there, and it's already organized in a nice pile. Like I, I break. It's, the, it's in a pile though. On it's the table. like, it's but it's not, your, it's, it's your pile. It's, like it's like it's twelve envelopes addressed to Jasmine that I don't know which ones are priority. So I'm waiting for you to go ahead and just throw. Oh, that's those. good. That that's because I don't know exactly good. what she wants to save yeah. or not. And yeah. so like the things good, that she like job. loses her mind over for me. Sometimes I'm like. Well, maybe just throw those away in the evening instead of waking up on Saturday mornings, which is sometimes like I look at her like, wait, what are you really freaking out about? I was like, I'll help you. And we also, and that's the thing we've learned that we clean differently. Like he was raised to clean on Sunday mornings and I was raised to clean on Saturday mornings. So oh, you'd have yeah. the whole weekend to <laughs> My do. My mother raised what? me to clean every day. <laughs> I'm, great, I'm a complete OCD, horrible person to live with. Okay. No, that's your deal. Don't, don't interview my husband. <laughs> Tony, we're coming for you. Um, so. so we had to learn. That was an adjustment period of like some things, like all clean partial things on Saturday, and then we'll kind of work on things together on Sunday. But like for me, Sunday was always like get up early, go to, go to mass, go to church, mm-hmm. do a little family moment, come home, watch movies together on the couch. Like so, And that's why Saturday, mom was always like clean Saturday so you have your whole week to do whatever you want and you're like oh, no. no saturday i rest my house at my <laughs> so. house like saturday was party day do whatever <laughs> sunday is for god and for cleaning so your oh. weekend was friday evening, well no that's a good metaphor saturday. i like that <laughs> right? Sundays for god. I like so that. Like, like and so sundays was like like six o'clock in the morning and like Vicente Fernandez playing on the radio at the butt crack of dawn and my mom's like, get up, mop the floors. Oh, like at least she told you to get up. Mine interrupted my sleep with a vacuum cleaner and a rag and was like, get up and go dust the living room. <laughs> there was like a I startled wish, like I wake wish up we call. had carpet in my house. We yeah. <laughs> <laughs> carpet. So this okay, so then transitioning. Okay, so when we think about <laughs> So, so, but when we think about, so kind of going back to the writing, when we think about sort of like the decluttering or the, mm-hmm. the shifting, the prioritizing, I think it says a lot with what we're going to talk to Robin about today in regards to when you're looking at an anthology or a collection of work, like how mm-hmm. do you sift through that? How do you prioritize? And both Lupa and I have edited um, magazines, nothing like an anthology, right? You haven't edited an anthology, have you? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know these things. Yeah. I can't keep track no, of your career. Uh, <laughs> No, so but we've both edited literary journals and magazines, <laughs> me so very recently, um, first time. And that was a really interesting experience, very <laughs> eye-opening as a writer to do that. Um, and so we'll talk more with Dr. Yeah. Davidson about what that looks like when we take a little quick break. Thanks for cutting me off. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. 
we're back. You're already having a great conversation uh, in terms of you know prioritizing works and then looking at like the literary um, elements that are therein, in not just in creating and writing work, but also like looking at how you sort through if say you're creating a manuscript or even like when you're trying to figure out how you're going to read for either an open mic or a performance, like all of that takes like a certain level of organizing that mm-hmm. like you have to be real. Are you going to have an arc to your reading? Yeah, Is like, it and sometimes like a- that gets thrown off too. Cause if you do a live performance and like somebody read before it always happens, like somebody reads, like I have a set of poems that I want to read before we start. And then somebody reads before me and they totally throw me off or they've changed the tone or the, the energy in the room yeah. is just different, right? Like you have to learn how to read an audience and like sift through your your whatnot and prioritize your poems before you go up there. And And so to kind of get that conversation going with Dr. Davidson, first we'd like to welcome Dr. Davidson. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. (laughs) And then um, her introduction for uh, our Inkwell podcast. uh, Whenever you're ready. Robin Davidson is a poet, translator, and professor of English at the University of Houston downtown. She is author of two poem chapbooks, Kneeling in the Dojo by Finishing Line Press and City That Ripens on the Tree of the World by Calypso Editions, and the full collection Luminous Other, recipient of the Ashland Poetry Press's 2012 Richard Snyder Memorial Publication Prize. She is co-translator with Iwa Elzebita. Now, excuse me, of the new century, uh, and has received, among other awards, a Fulbright professorship at the Yegonian. Very good. Yagalonian. Yagalonian. Okay. I saw the double L's and I put yeah. my Latino twist yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, University of Krakow, Poland, and an NEA translation fellowship. She has served as a faculty advisor to UHD's literary and visual arts magazine, The Bio Review. Which is an awesome magazine. Yes. Since 2006. She's been affiliated with Writers in the Schools Houston since 1985 and is a member of the Literary Press Calypso Editions, an independent artists collaborative. In May 2015, Dr. Davidson was named Houston's second Poet Laureate by Mayor Anise Parker, where she completed her tenure, serving as editor of Houston's Favorite Poem Project, which we're going to learn a lot more about today. Oh, good. So good. welcome, Dr. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, you guys know a lot about this anthology project because you were yeah. part of the editorial team. Yep. Yes, yep. we do. And um, I guess what I would... Maybe I'll just give a few stats on it. Okay. Sure, yes, please we tell us about it. We received a, approximately, actually, a few more than 400 submissions. Wow. Um, from people in about 100 zip codes around mm. around the, the greater Houston area. That's yeah. amazing. The people represented in the book range in age from 18 to 87. There are actually two people who, nice. whose uh, poems were submitted who are uh, 87 years old and still alive and very, uh, you know, supportive of this book. Uh, what else? There are 120 poets represented in the volume. Um, I'd say 50-50 many American poets from a range of, of uh, cultural and, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds, uh, African-American, Mexican-American, um, Native American Hmm. Asian American. Uh, there's a Sudanese American poet. Wow. Yeah, she's fantastic. Um, so, bunch, all kinds of American poets, and then there are many poets from countries all over the world that appear in English translation. So we sifted through you guys, <laughs> I, and uh, various others. Rich Levy for one, Melissa Stuttered, um, Chris Weiss. Deb, Deborah mm-hmm. Mouton. Yeah. Who else am I leaving out? I'm leaving out some people. Um, but anyway, we all read through these materials and uh, identified about 200, a few more than two, actually 216 poem, uh, submissions that we wanted to include. Mm. And of that group, um, we were able to include about, a, uh, I think we have 185 poems in the book. That's Great. beautiful. Yeah. It's a beautiful so, collection. Um, the collection yeah. hit. Uh, stands access for buying about maybe a month and a half ago mm-hmm. was uh, January eighteenth. Right, right. So now, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, a month and a half ago. Um, it's a beautiful book itself. Um, we'll probably 
see if we can put the link to the actual collection and yeah. either the imprint Good. page or Good. the Dental Projects page okay. um, so you can see where it's at. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the, the first questions I have is what skill set did you entirely need to bring to the table in order to be able to work on the anthology itself? Yeah. Because that's a... It's a like. The, well, the, it was uh, one that was acquired in the making. Let me say that, <laughs> man, so, it was yeah. an intense deal. Um, I can say that I the idea is not mine, of course. Right. This kind of favorite poem anthology, it's modeled on Robert Pinsky's uh, Americans' favorite poems mm. during his his three years of poet, U.S. poet laureate. What years were those? Uh, well. I think it was 1999 through 2001. We're going to look. It was 1997 through 2000. So I can believe that it took him a while to um, put together Americans' favorite poems. Um, Anyhow, so so the same idea held, you know, that we would ask Houstonians, all of those living in greater Houston, uh, to send in their favorite poems. I actually studied with Pinsky many years ago for only a semester, but during that semester he asked his students to develop their own favorite poem anthology. This was long before he was Poet Laureate. And it was a uh, it was something that was a very powerful thing to do. He said, you know, choose your favorite poems. They could be poems by your colleagues, your classmates. Yeah. It could be poems from anywhere. And I did that, and I still have that anthology that I've added to over the years. Wow. Yeah, and, and he has the same thing, his own personal anthology that he started way back when. Um, so that so this book is modeled on that. So that was one, I wouldn't say that's a skill set, but that was really the, um, the impetus for the idea for a, a Poet Laureate project. Uh, for our city. And then, um, you know, I've been a student for a really long time, (laughs) like more years than my husband would like to discuss, (laughs) considering how much it costs to go to school for 110 years. Um, So I've read lots and lots and lots of poetry from all over the world. I've been lucky, you know, to have really good teachers in that regard. And, um, And then... Um, I had the great good fortune of having a very talented poet team Mm -hmm. to read through all this stuff. And so it really wasn't just my individual eye that chose these poems. It was really a collective eye looking at different, um, you know, different elements of craft and culture that we each valued in particular poems. And so those those um, poems have come together, you know, in this book. And uh, a number of people submitted the same poem. So we were able mm-hmm. to represent more submissions or more um, Houstonians than poems. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. that does. Yes. Could you share something maybe from the book? That oh, I would, I'd love to. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about, um, you know, what I might read from the book for you guys. And I've had a really hard time coming up with a favorite one or two or five. <laughs> Um, but I thought I might just read one um, at, at the very beginning of the anthology. I love the Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he died in 2000. He's been deceased for uh, 18 years now. And I've been thinking a lot about my mother because this is the uh, first anniversary of her death today, March 16th, 2018. She died a year ago. And um, so I thought I might read this. is a short poem. It's called The Resurrection of the Dead. It's by uh, Amichai who was here, by the way, in Houston many years ago, maybe 25 years ago. And one of the things I remember about him, he was talking to a bunch of students, um, and I was one of them. He said, translation is like a kiss through a veil. Mm. And... I've I just remembered that, that forever, that. and I and have loved his love work. So, I, so anyway, in the spirit of translation, let me read... There's a couple of his poems in the book. One is called uh, Wild Peace, translated from the Hebrew by Hannah Block, who is one of the best translators in the world. Um, but the one I'm going to read is called The Resurrection of the Dead, and it's translated from the Hebrew by Leon. And, I'm, you know, I'm not sure how to say his name. I think it would be uh, Wieseltier, but I'm, that may be wrong. But he was very generous. He and Hannah Amahai uh, gave us this poem and... Um, permission to use the poem. So first I'm going to read the intro by Susan Mitchell, who is the Houstonian who contributed. She listed herself as a caregiver, and she says, this poem comforts 
haunts and challenges me. It demands I stop and reflect on the imagery it creates. After my mother passed away, we discovered a file folder holding poems she valued enough to save. This was the poem that brought us all to a halt. While sorting through her galleries of the past, we discovered treasure. The Resurrection of the Dead. We are buried with everything we did, with our tears and our laughs. We have made storerooms of history out of it all, galleries of the past and treasure houses, buildings and walls and endless stairs of iron and marble in the cellars of time. We will not take anything with us. Even plundering kings, they all left something here. Lovers and conquerors, happy and sad, they all left something here. A sign, a house, like a man who seeks to return to a beloved place and purposely forgets a book, a basket, a pair of glasses, so that he will have an excuse to come back to the beloved place. In the same way, we leave things here. In the same way, the dead leave us. Mm. Wow. I just love this poem. And many, many in the book, really. Sure, sure. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. what was... Oh, yeah, no. Questions? So ahead. what was that process like for you? Or how would you differentiate sort of editing and collecting, you know, and putting together a manuscript of your own work mm-hmm. versus that of, you know these 400 yeah, yeah. <laughs> submissions that came in of someone else's writing and work. And even, I mean, I, I think, is the book just alphabetical, right? Am I not? Yeah. Saying? Yeah. Cause so otherwise it makes it really easy. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. But what, but what was, what are some of the challenges and differences between the two? Well, I guess I would say that it, for me, it's so much harder to see my own work. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's harder for me to see its value over see? time. Okay. You know, I struggle with that. And then to see the poems, beyond just their individual state, to see them in some kind of an arc. Mm-hmm. I think that is so hard to do, to organize your own book. So this anthology in many ways was much easier because I loved the poems. Right, right. Uh, I didn't question their value. And I used Robert Pinsky's book as a model, which <laughs> was wonderful. It's almost like having a manual. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was like a manual. So he had organized uh, Americans favorite poems by poet um, name mm-hmm. and just uh, alphabetical order by last name. And so this made it really easy. And then the other thing that I felt was important to include was the... Um, the uh, Rationale. Contributor. Well, the, certainly that, but, but also the lifespan, you know, the dates, birth and death dates oh. or the lifespan dates of the poets and also their country of origin so that people could really see the range, you know, the diversity mm-hmm. of the poets Which represented. Which I think really speaks to the diversity of Houston as oh well. Oh my I mean, gosh, it does. So many, yeah. I mean, that's, this is a poet that I have never heard <laughs> before yeah. and now I yeah. want to know more of his yeah. work. He's fabulous. <laughs> he's, he's fabulous. Yeah. And so, so it's great. And it's great yeah. there's translations in there as well of, you know, the fact yeah. that. Yeah. So that brings up a, a second question for me in terms of aesthetics um, how I'm kind of newer to the concept, um, and even looking at translated mm-hmm. work, what, I guess, aesthetically, like, what is, what is that, how does that lens change your frame of reference when looking at works for either the potential for it to be translated or, uh, in reading other mm-hmm. works, like mm-hmm. there's a level not only of just of the the language that's written, but then the also like that that other brain that occurs when reading something in another language. Like, how does that okay. fit in and, and filter in either your own writing and then the writing yeah. that you see? Well, you know, there are those who would argue, scholars, uh, literary scholars, who would argue that poetry cannot be translated. Mm. And, you know, I think to some extent that's true, but I can't imagine living my life as a reader of poems and not having had access to poems in Spanish, to poems in Russian. I mean, I don't, I read some Spanish, but not well enough to understand the, you know, the real, um, um, 
nuances of, of some of the words, oh, even from Spanish country to country, those nuances change. Yeah. And so Russian, I don't, I don't read a word of that. And if I didn't know Akhmatova's verse or one of my favorite po- poets in the world is Marina Svitaeva, uh, a Russian woman. And um, so I think what I hear in your question is um, how, how is translation important to me as a poet? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important in two ways. Firstly, it gives me access to entire moments of human history and culture mm-hmm. that I don't know anything about that are, that are then brought to me in the form of artifacts, not just uh, informative history or something, um, since we know about history, right, is, is not exactly fact. It's various people's agendas. Um, and then the second thing that it does, I think it really has changed my relationship to language, where I feel uh, engaged in, when I translate, so I translate Ewa Lipska's poems from Polish, and I've been, just in the last few weeks, I've really been working on that again because I'm behind on a, some poems I should have finished two years ago. Um, it, I become this very close reader of poetry when I'm translating. And what I think that allows me to do is in my own work to be to read my own poems, not while I'm writing them, but when I return to them mm-hmm. to try to make them into something. I think it allows me to be a much better reader of my own work mm-hmm. where I can actually translate the blob of stuff that I've just <laughs> written on the page into what I hope will be a little bit more radiant lyric moments in a poem, you know? I mean, well, I mean, this is a goal, okay? I'm not saying I'm achieving this. No, no, but even being able to say... That that is a goal. Like, yeah. the, that's also language. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reference. Like, and I've always wondered too, because because I, you know, both Lupe and I are fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I can't speak for Lupe, but I know for me, she speaks for me all the time. <laughs> in this case, I will not. I will speak for myself. I'm but we were actually just Dr. before Pepper. the show talking about our good friend JP, who also translates works, but from English to Spanish and Spanish to English, and. Um, I've just always been lately. I've been really curious about what's the impetus for that. What yeah. is sort of the like? What drives you to want to translate? Oh, I can tell you that right off. <laughs> Please, tell Please. Me. I wanted to read this woman's work right. in the original. Mm-hmm. So I was studying with Zagajewski, Adam Zagajewski. I was at U of H in the writing program over there. Adam was my teacher, and he brought to those of us studying with him lots of poems from other languages. So did Ed Hirsch, mm-hmm. but. Interestingly enough, he brought a lot of poets to us from Polish, right? Mm-hmm. You know, since he's a Pole, uh, writes in Polish himself. And um, I was very taken with Wisława Szymborska's work and also Eva Lipska's work. And Szymborska and Lipska both, well, uh, Szymborska is deceased now, but they wrote in Polish. Uh, neither of them spoke any English. Mm-hmm. Lipska now does speak English, but she didn't for many, many years. And I came to Lipska's work in English translation okay. by a, a couple, Barbara uh, Plebonic and Tony Howard, a married couple, and they were translating her poems. They were in Britain and translating her poems into English. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful to those two translators, or I would never, ever have been able to read her stuff. And it was so different from my own work. You know, mm-hmm. mine was Baroque and kind of too cluttered up, and it was real um, self-referential and all the stuff that I really didn't want it to be. And her work was, I thought, much stronger hmm. and much more um, powerful and concise and uh, amazing. So so you I, went and learned Polish? That's right. So oh I gosh. thought, you know, I'm, you I am missing, <laughs> I'm missing these poems because I, I don't it. know the original. Yeah. And so I told Adam, you know, I wanted... To, to read her work. So he had her send me a book. 1999 was the name of the book, and that's, she sent it in 1999. It was published that year. Well, I could read it. Duh. It was in Polish. And um, so then yeah, I applied for a Fulbright. I went to Poland, and I lived there for a year and studied with a woman named Bogumiła Oshak, my Polish mom. I just <laughs> loved her. Bogumiła in Polish means beloved of God. Oh, wow. And she oh. was this beautiful, beautiful human being, she was physically beautiful, but she had a beautiful voice and so kind to me. And so she taught me Polish. Wow. 
And then I could begin to read Eva's work in Polish, and I got to meet her, and work, I've been working with her ever since. Um, so, that's beautiful. So that's why, I mean, it was easy for me. I wanted to read that stuff right, in its right. original, and so that meant I had to learn the language. Right. And then I got hooked, because <laughs> translating is a compulsive activity. You, it just drives you crazy until you feel like you can get it. Right, you know. I tried like translating some of my own work, and it gave me such a headache. I think just, that would be really I, hard to do. Like I, get someone else been, to do it. Yeah, I asked JP. I've you know, some people that it's, I might. It's funny and work the, with him. Yeah. You know. yeah. The other half of that is that sometimes, and it depends too. Like since English isn't my first language, yeah, there are moments where the shift in in the tone in my mm-hmm. work, the I have to stop yeah. when I'm writing some poems. Because I believe that. My brain, I'm like, wait, is am I? And like, I'll flip into Spanish as I'm writing, and sometimes can you not do that and let I, that be? I, I I do in some poems, and in other poems, I'm like, wait, is that what I intended? Where did this, does it take away? Does, does it, it take add away? To does it add? And it's this very, it's very fricative in my head, and so like, huh. there's moments where I will write a whole poem in Spanish. And I know that it's informed by the things that I've been reading, which are in English, because oh, wow. I look at that level of writing and I look at other uh, Latin American huh. Spanish writings okay. and it's so different. And yeah. It's, it's so much more. I'm so intimidated by poetry in Spanish. I hear you. That brings up another question, <laughs> like in terms of... When you look at English, and I would say American English poetry, there is a level of common language yes. in poetry that can exist, does exist, and is like, su- like super successful. Yeah. But, I, and the ignorance- And should exist. Right. right. Like, right. like I, I want to know, and I need to be a better reader of poetry and of fiction in, in Spanish, does that exist- as well as it does in English, like language wise. Cause when I read some of other works, like there's so much more not formal, but it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like there's the level of conciseness that I sometimes feel you doesn't know, exist in my work. And so I'm always like, ah, what is that? But I think, I mean, I think it's different language to language and mm-hmm. culture to, to culture. culture. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, if you look at American poetry, it hasn't always been, it hasn't always used a dialect that is so accessible, right? Right. That's or you true. look at Italian poetry, it hasn't always used uh, such a dialect and accept, or Greek or anything. So you William Carlos Williams in the US is really who opened the door, I think, for mm-hmm. us to speak our truth in the language Plain that language. anyone would say. Right. 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 Um, and I I don't know enough about very many other languages to know when or if that's happened, you know, in in Sp- Spanish of Guatemala versus Spanish from uh, Spain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think those would be really different Spanishes. I, yeah, well, and I think, too, it comes to a matter of, in, in a way, a lot of element of has to do with, um, like, classism, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. in the sense of, like, poetry in a lot of Latin American countries, yeah. or even in Europe, sort of being of this, yeah. this elevated social class. You have Still. to go to a school, you have to be literate, yeah. you have to have an education for you to have access to this poetry. Yeah. And so the language is elevated versus you know, sort of the, the common man, if you will, or the lay person being able yeah. to pick up a book and read it and get it. Because if you don't have high literacy rates, like we don't in a lot of our Latin American countries, unfortunately, then there's that That's lack of access to right. sort of this, you know, right. this literature and this poetry. And so it yeah. stays, it stays at this quote unquote sort of elevated language, these images, this yeah. lyricism sort of, right? Yeah. That That is inaccessible to, yeah. you know. Yeah, it does not day. invite in. Right. <laughs> And then, but then, right. you know, the flip side too, because it does exist. Like if you look at Salvadorian poet, um, oh my God, Roque Dalton, uh, his work as, as you look at say, oh my God, who's the guy that did multiple choice? Mario. Alejandro Zambra. Alejandro, uh, Alejandro Zambra. When you look at, at his work, they're very different and you're right. There's like the change in, in tone in terms of like cultural understanding, yeah. levels of language and, mm. and. So you've got, yeah, there's there's a full spectrum, but I think it's always interesting. Because having read the book Multiple Choice, both in English and in the original uh, Spanish, like, they're both amazing, but yeah. they 
for me, they read very different. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's the beauty of being able to know more than one language is being able to dissect them. That's in, why in some folks ways. think poetry is really not translatable. Yeah. You're really creating Something. another I artifact. Yeah. 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 So on that note, but do you have any of your own poetry you'd like to I share? I do. I've been, I just got back <laughs> from, we've, and, and we've talked about this, Jess. I just got back from Hedgebrook. Oh, did oh, you? Yeah. I'm so jealous. Well, we'll have to just talk. Keep, yes. And, and there's a, there's, <laughs> I still want to go. There's a lot of ways to go. Okay. And I know a lot okay. about this, and it is a wonderful Please. place. You would love oh, it, and gosh. they would love you. Okay. So, I'm getting my recommendation yeah. letter from you. Yeah. <laughs> Next so year, we'll, after baby's born. We will, we what, will talk about a, this. Do I get to apply? No, it's women only. It's sorry. women only. And it is the no, sorry, most. Make sure you play. Oh, it's an amazing place. Oh, we have to talk. It's an amazing place. Anyway, so the last three years I've gone... To work with Carolyn Forche, and I really love her. Like I've yeah. come to not just admire her work or love her work, but I love her, mm. and she is really a wonderful teacher. And so, I'm just going to read you one. Okay. But I, I we just wrote I and five other women uh, under Carolyn's guidance. Uh, just spent a week writing, love it. Love it. and um, so so here's one of them. I let me say that uh, this poem is a Schmetterling poem. Schmetterling in German means butterflies. So I've invented this character, Mrs. Schmetterling. Right. And um, she's kind of the closest, she's like a persona for me, I guess. Mm. But she's the closest thing I will ever get to fiction. Like, I don't think I could ever, like, our yeah. wonderful Latino novelist, Daniel Pena. Right. Yes. right or Iranian uh, novelist, Farnoosh Moshiri, whomever who's ter- terrific. I don't understand how novelists do that no, stuff. I can't either. So Miss Schmetterling <laughs> is made up, okay? Got it. But All right. she Preserve does all. give me um, a way to talk that I don't feel comfortable with otherwise, perhaps. This is called, Mrs. Schmetterling Considers the Invisible. Mrs. Schmetterling has been reading what scientists say about theories of cloaking, And now she thinks she's beginning to understand her own invisibility. She wonders how fast or how slowly light must travel across her face to hide her eyes, nose, mouth, chin, how much time it will take to erase her person entirely. Or what if not only she as an object, but her life as an event, disappear among particles of racing light. At first, she tells herself she must wake up, step into the light, break whatever magnetic field she's prisoner to, be seen. But Mrs. Schmetterling decides otherwise. She prefers to move through her life, feeling her way in the dark, along streets and walls, furniture and faces, to better see suffering, large and small, the latent text of lives shaped in the muscles of a hand, in the deep blue shadows beneath the eyes. She must wear the cloak of unseeing from within, swallow the light that eludes her until she glows. Ah, you're killing what? me with that ending. What? That's it. Swallow the light. That's a new poem. Until she glows. <laughs> the oh Houston second poet laureate. Yes. We didn't even get the, so. Okay, yeah. Like we were supposed to end with that poem and then switch, but I do have one question. Okay. What are what are <laughs> um, lessons you learned uh, as from being the city's second poet laureate? Uh, well, I have learned that I am not a very public person. <laughs> and you were in the public a lot. And I was in the public a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think Deb, for example, is so comfortable as a performance poet, and I was not. So I will say that I learned, number one, that I'm very private and a private person and a private poet. But I also learned how to get past that about mm-hmm. myself and to be more present. And um, so this poem is kind of about that. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can definitely yeah. hear that. That's yeah. awesome. And I actually, when, I, when you first started, literally, and I don't know why, I mean, I kind of know why, but I imagined the first line of, of Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. Mrs. Dalloway said she would buy the flowers herself. And I was like, yeah. I don't know. I just like, that's, that's what came to my mind. Wow, that's a great book. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, one of my favorites. And so I, as, as you were reading that, I just kept thinking, you know, this, yeah. this woman and this, this yeah. ability. And yeah. This, See, this is what fiction know. gives you permission to do. And, yeah. 
and I've never been able to do that. So Ms. Schmetterling is kind of that permission for me, mm-hmm. I think. That's yeah, awesome. I'm working on some persona poems at the moment. It helps. It, yeah, it You're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Folks, you've been listening to Inkwell with Dr. Robin Davidson. Uh, we'll take a little quick jingle break, and uh, you can take a pause and go have a cigarette. Or people don't do that anymore. People, some people do that. <laughs> That's terrible. Go fix go, yourself go have a some drink. Grab some coffee. Don't smoke. That's bad. Uh, you know, whatever <laughs> you do, because we're not judgy here at Inkwell. I will judge you if you smoke cigarettes. <laughs> we're not judgy here at Inkwell. I'm and, saying nothing. Uh, take saying that nothing. pause. We'll be back. Yeah, we'll do that. And we're back. Lightning so, round. Okay, you calm down because I got relampago. Oh my oh god. god. Okay, so here's oh the way this works. Um, this is the lightning round, <laughs> and at this particular moment, this is when Josh Josh does a little jingle, or not. Maybe he did, maybe not. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> the way the I gotta give you the rules. Okay. I gotta oh give dear. You the rules. Here goes. So you will be given a series of ten questions. Oh my god. You will you will answer each of the ten questions. You will have up to a minute to answer each question. Okay. These are life affirming the hardest questions. This is the hard stuff. This is oh we like God. dig deep into your person. This is you, you I hope shook. this is a joke. No okay. cloak of invisibility. <laughs> okay. yeah, no cloak okay. of invisibility oh, no. here. And uh so just whatever okay. comes into your mind. Oh dear. First okay. answer. You just okay. answer the, the oh, first okay. ones, right? Okay. Okay. Number one. Uh number of languages spoken that you speak. Spoken. Hmm. I would say three. Wow. What, what are, are they? Well, uh, English, I do that really well. Got it. <laughs> Polish, okay. pretty well. French, pretty well. Oh, yeah, wow. I got a degree in French as a kid. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, my, a long time ago. Wait. So, wait, your undergraduate was in French? Yeah. Wow. I love French. That's yeah, awesome. I was born overseas. My dad was in the army. And- oh, what? what? Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Where? Where overseas were you? I was born in Italy, Trieste, Italy. Nice. Wow. Yeah, for, well, I wasn't there very long. Then we moved to France, and of course, I don't France? remember any of this. Verdun. Mm. Oh. World War II, Verdun. Oh. Yeah, my mother wow. hated every minute of it. Goodness. She wow. had nothing good to say. But the language is beautiful, oh, and yeah, I think that beautiful. somewhere, you know, in my psyche, I kept, I, I had it, you know. That's great. And then I studied it as a little kid. I was in a, a church school. It was an Anglican school, not Catholic, but, right. and we, they didn't, te- they taught, French instead of Spanish, so I just grew up with it. Love it. Wow. This is where we learn the good stuff. This is all yeah. the amazing stuff. Um, wait, so okay, that was your 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 undergrad. What was your master's in? Creative writing. So I got that at UH in got the it. writing program. Got it. And then I, I went on and did the PhD there. Oh, awesome. I, I never wrote a scholarly dissertation or thesis. Oh, lucky you. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have survived. <laughs> they wouldn't have passed me. <laughs> Okay, next question. You win an NEA grant, what do you do with it? Oh, easy. I just stay home, (laughs) (laughs) drink a lot of coffee, (laughs) sit at my little desk, and write and write and write. I would love to win an NEA grant as a a creative writer, not a translator. Yeah. What what do you think you'd be... Writing, working on. Working oh, on. I already know. What would you work I'm on? I'm working on a book right now. Oh, perfect. Okay. Oh, so poems, poems about World War II and my upbringing and my oh. mother's life there. My, yeah. Love it. I'm so and some that. stuff going on in Syria, too. They're kind of mm. war mm-hmm. things really? put together. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, question three. Writing time. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I am... I would say... That I am someone who doesn't devote enough time to my writing, mm. so I write whenever I can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I don't have a, a, a ritual a at the moment. Okay. Um. Favorite way to write: computer, typewriter, pen, pencil, paper. My laptop, absolutely my laptop. Although I have little notebooks I carry around with me and and write down stuff that occurs to me or that I see, but but writing always on the my laptop. Did, Same little machine. Did you ever like writing on the typewriter ever? Yes. I used to use an IBM Selectric. <laughs> now, that was an brand. unfair question, Lupe. You're a very young person. <laughs> Don't ask questions like that. Well, but I mean, because I like, I like typewriters. Like, I like I them, actually, too. Like, like, there's, of them. There's a physicality to like... Yeah, they're great. The whole yeah. sounds of it that I just don't get with a laptop that... And I miss like doing the whole... 
the hitting of Pushing the switch. Pushing the thing and starting the new We used to have a really wonderful old, I can't remember what it was called, but a manual, not a Selectric. And one of our cats peed on it. So that was the, <laughs> that was the end of that one. I want to hear that poem. Number of years you've edited the Bayou Review. Oh, gosh. I started in 2006, and I just gave it up this uh, past year to Daniel. Pena. Oh, okay. So oh. how many? I my math's no Six good. Six to eight, seventeen. That's uh, twelve years. 12 uh, years. eleven years. Eleven years. About eleven years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's too long. Hmm. For it should really it should have. I think there should be more um, diversity for the students' sake. Sure. Right, sure. Right, to right. work with different people. So what would be a good amount of time for for a professor? You know, probably five. Five. Yeah. 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 That sounds about probably right. Probably five. And prevent burnout, kind of thing. You know, for sure. Yeah. Um, when you get a poem published, how do you celebrate? Well, I usually celebrate anything with champagne, <laughs> even yeah. just coming home from work. <laughs> so I love that. that. Sounds, yeah, I think that's a good answer. I champagne. Mean, you're walking in the door. With a, <laughs> like, Give me a glass. I made it through the day. <laughs> I can recommend a really good, inexpensive one too. Uh, I'm yes, not going to be able to think of it at this moment. No, uh, Rotor, Rotorer Estate. Mm-hmm. It's like seventeen, eight. Well, it might be twenty dollars a bottle, but it's not forty or fifty dollars a bottle, and it's right. really good. Do you get that with like a Kroger's plus card? <laughs> Kroger does sell it. Ah. <laughs> she knows. That's awesome. She knows. Um, okay, notebook paper or copy paper when you're writing a poem? Copy paper, what does that mean? Like oh, no, notebook. Like, I mean like, like a tablet. Lined, like, like a, a tablet? Yeah, a yeah, lined tablet. Lined tablet. Mm-hmm. Like college rule or white rule? Just lines. Yeah, is that college, college rule? Is that narrow stuff? Than yeah, narrow. That, that. And like, a lot of times yellow. Because it's oh, easier yeah. on the eyes. Gotcha. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I should switch. I should switch. But college ruled. You like writing on white paper. Um, <laughs> and I'm only asking this. I'm not, not picky. Not... I'll write on anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, too. napkins, whatever. I <laughs> uh, don't want to be that person, but only because you talk about them so much. Your best moment as a mom or grandmom. Oh, my best moment, it, it's impossible to say. Oh. There have been many great moments. I have two of the most wonderful kids they're great. And they have great partners. So Joshua is my son. He goes by the Mighty Orc. He is a brilliant musician, Chelsea, uh, local, you know, Houston-born musician. My daughter's name is Chelsea. She is this brilliant, brilliant visual artist and mother. Really? Yeah, they're both real talented, and they're so loving. And they have partners that uh, my husband and I adore. Uh, Jamie is Josh's partner, and Philip is Chelsea's husband. And... Um, and my two grandsons I now, know, I have two you... grandsons. Um, Brody <laughs> is uh, four and a half, and Reese is perhaps three weeks old now. Aww. He was born on February 23rd. I think that makes him three weeks old. Happy yeah. birthday. And they are, they're very, uh, Brody is a wonderful big brother. And when this interview is over, I will show you no more than 5,000 photographs of both <laughs> yes. of them. I love it. I'm uh, ready. Ink, welcome I'm ready to Inkwell, the photo sharing. <laughs> Um, okay, so two really quick ones. Last book read. Last book read? Uh, oh, my gosh. Well, I, I read, oh, man, I've been reading a whole bunch of stuff. Afterland by My Dear Vang, oh, yeah. which is a, it's a great book. I oh, my AWP. God. You did. I did, oh, and I didn't even realize it. such a it. talented person. <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh, wait, you're So My that's Dear a Vang. great book. Um, you know, um, last book read, last book read. A book called Chasing the King of Hearts. It's written by a woman named Hannah Kroll. She's a a Polish, I would say, literary journalist, Mm -hmm. translated by a gentleman named Philip. I believe he says Boehm is is his last name, Mm B-O-E-H-M. Brilliant translation. Kroll is one of my favorite Polish writers who's not a poet. And, um, yeah, so Boehm's translation is really beautiful. So that's, it's, it's about the Holocaust, I think he, yeah. his, yes, that was the playwright for and director of Alma Inventa at Stages for what our Latino Philip Baim. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he's back yeah, he's in a, Houston. Yeah. Yeah. That that's was him. him. That's and him. And he translated, shit, that's that's him. Him. <laughs> he translated, um, he, yeah. you know, Huerta Mueller who won, uh, she won the, did she win a Nobel Prize or something? She did. Okay. Mm-hmm. German. Mm-hmm. And oh. he translated her book, yeah. The Hunger Angel. Which what? is like this? I mean, talk about depressing. It's beautifully written. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. He's a great translator. That, uh, I'm in Yeah, I'm that just finished. It was just part closed. of the Cine okay. Festival. Uh, as part oh, of our Latino wow. Theater Festival. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Did I've he? never met him. I just oh, love his work. Oh, he's in town. Work. We can make the connection. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll have coffee. I would like we'll that. We'll have, yeah, uh, or champagne. And then your last yeah. final uh, lightning round question. Okay. Uh, things you do to relax at the end of the day. You know, I don't think I relax. Oh. I don't think I relax at the end of the day. My husband is a great cook, so he's been cooking for us a oh, whole lot nice. in the last year or two. Um, so I would say that is very relaxing to just sit with him and eat dinner. Um, but I don't really, I don't think I relax that much. I, I have just uh, submitted my letter of retirement to UHD. So I am hoping to have a little more time to be at peace. You know. And we look forward yeah. we look to that forward for you. To yeah. yeah. So a glass of red wine's good too, not just champagne. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's relaxing. Um, awesome. Thank you, Robin. One last oh, quick thank question. You Where can we find Houston's Favorite Poems? Houston's Favorite Poems is, I would say, two spots. You can buy it online at www.calypsoeditions.org. Great. But there are also a bunch of copies at Brazos Bookstore. Love our yeah, Brazos. Here in town. Thank you. Brazos yeah. Bookstores. Um, thank you, Dr. Davidson. Thanks for having me. What a fun deal. Thank Good. you. Thank Great you conversation. We, we'll get to chat more. Okay. And uh, so I think that's pretty much it. That's uh, a wrap, folks. So aside from that, tune in. The next time we will actually have uh, our very first Spanish language podcast. Uh, podcast oh, wow. Well, yeah. we're going to be okay, interviewing... I will and try to understand. Uh, uh, Argentina uh, novelist uh, Samantha Schweblin. I think I said that correctly. Um, her new book, which is Fever Dream in English, which is a translated book, wow. uh, will be uh, is out and about. And so she'll be in town to do a reading for imprint. And so we get to do the inter- the uh, interview with her. But uh, so, yeah, Josh, yeah, surprise. It'll be a whole Spanish language. <laughs> Spanish language. We'll uh, do some interview. translations in there, too, I we think, just to kind of. <laughs> wow. And, Engage uh, everyone. So, so tell yeah. me the title again in English. Uh, Fever Dream. Fever Dream. Okay. So, um, so Look yeah. Forward Sheb- Looking forward to that. Sheblin? Schweblin. Schweblin. Schweblin, yes. Um, Samantha Schweblin. S-C-H-W-E-B-L-I-N. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to us. Uh, Make sure you subscribe. If you want more info on Imprint, you can go to their website and you can go to our website at the Intero Projects. Um, We will talk to you guys soon. Jasmine, any last things to say? No, thank you, guys. And make sure you prioritize properly. (laughs) I don't know why you looked at me like that when you said that. (laughs) Like I, this judgy McJudgy next to me. judging. good. Just things. keep it real. Keep writing. And, and uh, put your laundry away. Yes, that too. <laughs> See you guys later. Thank you for listening to Inkwell, a collaboration between Tintero Projects and Imprint in Houston, Texas, a city with a wellspring of literary activity. Inkwell is hosted by Jasmine and Lupe Mendez of Tintero Projects, produced by Kristen Flack, Rich Levy, and Krupa Parikh of Imprint, and recorded, engineered, and edited by Josh Walker with 150 Media House. Inkwell is made possible by a grant from the City of Houston through the Houston Arts Alliance and Imprint's other generous supporters. For more information, visit imprinthouston.org or tinteroprojects.wordpress.com. For feedback on this and future episodes, email inkwell at imprinthouston.org. We also invite listeners near and far to attend our readings and workshops. Until next time, keep reading and keep writing.